0: The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Pastor Fuller, thank you for allowing me to be here on this uh, very crucial day as we end one year and look to another year. Uh, It was a joy of mine to be a part of that process as your pastor uh, came to this uh, congregation to serve uh, several years ago now. Uh, I first met him not only not in the hall, not in the classroom, but actually when he was playing on the intramural basketball team for what we called Yahweh's Finest um, <laughs> at the seminary, and uh, he was known not only for his outstanding shooting but for his hockey checks uh, throughout uh, throughout the course of the game. But it was, we were so delighted when I learned that he was coming here and accepted this call to this wonderful, wonderful congregation. This morning's uh, sermon takes the form of a, of a parable. I don't normally introduce a sermon in this way, but I, I think it's important that you understand the form that this sermon takes. And while the narrative, the story itself is inventive, The characters that move the plot along are real-life people that have connected in my life, some of them here in Phoenix. And I've taken their, their stories and moved them into the inventive story of the dinner party. So the reason I kind of give that preface is that if somebody comes in late in the service and sits down and after the service asks you, is that story of the dinner party true? You would say it's a parable but the people in it and what happened in their lives actually did happen. If you're able, I would invite you to stand this morning as I read the gospel from Luke chapter 14. Let us hear the gospel of our Christ beginning at verse 7. When Jesus noticed how the guests When your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, Do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. On this last Sunday of this year, we pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would give us the courage to walk in the light that you reveal. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The technicians at Kinko watched with amusement as the limousine pulled into the parking lot. The driver got out and opened the rear door for his passenger, and she stepped out and walked into the store with her driver by her side. The Kinko employees had been waiting for her to return to pick up the invitations. The manager on duty the day that she dropped off her invitations remembered not only the limousine, but remembered her passion for precision related to the special project. The gold embossed envelopes had to be just right. And the delivery? It must meet the prescribed date. And then he remembered almost laughing out loud when he read the text that she had written on her personal stationery. At the request of Jesus... You were invited to a dinner party to be held on December the 31st at Connections Country Club on North Shore Drive. Come enjoy a wonderful evening of great food and entertainment. And then at the bottom of her stationery was written, P.S., This invitation, when presented to any local taxicab driver, will assure you of free transportation to and from Connections Country Club. Everyone watched while she proofed the final text. And then she looked up and with a big smile on her face, she said, Thank you. This is perfect. Just what I wanted. And with that, she reached into her purse and pulled out her Platinum American Express card and told the manager to add a 100% tip to be shared with everybody that worked on the project. And when the limousine pulled out of the parking lot, all of the Kinko employees howled with laughter, Imagine that Jesus invites you to dinner! What in the world was that lady thinking? When she got home, she opened the box again and looked into the invitations. And when she thought about what she was going to do with them, the very next day her heart began to beat rapidly. And she felt a big faint, her stomach somewhat queasy. For what she was going to do the very next day went against everything she had ever learned in life about social etiquette. For you see, the next day she was going to go downtown and ride a city bus and walk the city streets and hand out 100 invitations to people she did not know, inviting them to a dinner. And the only criterion was this. She must not know the recipient. That shouldn't be hard. (laughs) In her entire life she had never ever ridden a city bus. And the only time she had ventured downtown in the last 20 years was to occasionally meet with her attorney. But now as she thought what she was going to do she asked herself why. But in reality She knew exactly why. For you see, also, for the first time in her life, she started attending a Bible study at her church. She attended old first church, you know, the downtown church with the high steeple and the stained glass windows where all the well-connected people worshiped. She was very impressed with her new pastor. She referred to him, to her friends, as a scholar-pastor, one who had the wonderful ability to communicate across the differing age groups. He took the Scriptures seriously, and he always fashioned his sermon around a biblical text. And his sermons were not only informational, they were also inspirational as well. Well, one Sunday morning, he stood up before the congregation and announced that he was going to begin a Wednesday noon Bible study for all interested people. And he advertised the Bible study throughout the community, much to her embarrassment, as Bonehead Bible One. And he encouraged church members and their friends to come, whether they had ever read the Bible or not. To come with their questions and their Bibles, the study would center in the Gospel of Luke. Well, for whatever reason, she warmed to the idea and decided to drop out of her Wednesday bridge group at the country club and attend the Bible study. She had taken a Bible as literature course back in college as a part of her major She attended a very prestigious prestigious college for women in New England, where she majored in classics. But she really hadn't studied anything since college. But the idea of studying the Bible with somebody who, who seemed to affirm its value, to affirm its worth, well, that was intriguing to her. But she would soon find out. It was not only intriguing, but it was extremely dangerous to attend the Bible study. Much to her surprise, as the Bible study unfolded, her pastor not only dealt with the biblical text, but he explored the social and historical background of the text as well. And this appealed to her as a classics major because she realized that context, both human and historical, is, is important to any written or human document. And one day, as he began his exposition of Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, he reminded those in attendance that Luke, the author, would have undoubtedly been aware of the Greco Roman reciprocity ethic that permeated the culture of the day. The Greco-Roman reciprocity ethic simply was this, be generous in making friends so that someday those friends may actually be generous toward you. His reference to the Greco-Roman reciprocity ethic reminded her of a required reading as a part of her major from Plutarch, his book on table talk, where he instructed Roman citizens of the day that before they accepted an invitation to a social event, they should always ask to see the guest list and to see who else was invited to the social event. And then after reviewing the guest list, then and only then, make your determination if you'll show up, if the people there will enhance your social status. As she thought about it, she realized that everything that she had ever learned or practiced around social engagements was really rooted in this Greco-Roman tit-for-tat ethic. You know, you scratch my back, and I'll scratch your back. You do this for me, I'll do that for you. You owe me, I guess I owe you. But her pastor reminded the group that Jesus instructed those who would be his followers to flip the guest list to invert the social value. He went around, her pastor said, doing theological pranks in order to open people's minds to new ways of thinking, to new ways of relating that he called the Kingdom of God. He reminded his followers if we simply do things for our friends and our neighbors and our families who will do us good in the commerce of life, we have failed to understand what the kingdom is all about. She began to think, what would it be like if someone actually started doing what Jesus invited them to do? What if someone would invite someone to dinner who could in no way ever, ever hope to pay it back? And that's where the Jesus dinner was conceived. The next morning, she had her driver drop her off at the bus station. And to his surprise, she gave him the rest of the day off with pay and a $100 tip. And she walked into the bus station, and she purchased a bus ticket. And she got on the bus, and she took her seat, and she looked around. It was nothing as she imagined. It was stark and stern. The seats were uncomfortable, awfully confining. Two teenage boys were the first ones to exit the bus that day. And as they got up, she handed them a gold-embossed invitation. They looked at her, and they looked at the invitation suspiciously. They got off the bus, and she noticed they tossed the invitations on the ground. For the first time, she realized, this inviting people you don't know to dinner might be more difficult than she thought. The next person to receive an invitation was an elderly domestic worker. She handed her the invitation and she put it in her purse and said, Gracias. And she got off the bus and walked down the street. She wondered, will she read the invitation? Can she read my invitation? Then she walked to the back of the bus and there was a young teenage mother with two small little children and she gave each one of them an invitation and wished them a good day. The next person to receive an invitation was a blind man, a very gregarious blind man that everybody on the bus seemed to know as Tom. And so she sat in the seat behind him, and she tapped him on the shoulder and handed him an invitation. And Tom said, what's this? She said, it's an invitation to a dinner party. He said, well, open it, open it, I can't read it. So she opened the invitation and for the first time read it out loud. At the request of Jesus, you are invited to a dinner party on December the 31st at Connections Country Cub. Come, come and enjoy a, a wonderful evening of good food and entertainment. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this a joke? She said, "Oh no, no, no. I'm sincere, and if if you take this invitation and give it to any taxicab driver, you will have free transportation to and from Connections Country Club. He says, you mean to tell me that there's going to be free food at the country club? She said, yes. He said, well, Tom will be there. Tom never turns down free food. And he said, oh, may I bring my friend Tony? Tony? Tony's in from out of town, from Chicago. He's here looking for work. Would it be okay if I brought him? And she handed him another invitation. And when she sat in her seat, she was so pleased that Tom seemed so interested and warm to the idea, and he was actually going to being her friend. At the next stop, she got off the bus and walked into the Boys and Girls Club. And as she entered in through the South Corridor, She recalled how every year she had written a check to support the Boys and Girls Club, but she had never, ever been on the property. And she walked down the long corridor that led to the place where volunteers read books to young children. And as she would go, she handed volunteers and custodians and secretaries and parents and children an invitation. She went out to the corner and caught another bus and drove down to the to the Christian center, and there she got off the bus, and she took invitations, and as those men and women were lined up outside waiting for lunch, she she gave invitations to everyone standing there, and she went in the thrift shop and gave invitations to volunteers and to customers, and people opened the invitations, and they smiled when they read, Jesus invites you to dinner? while all the preparations were finalized at Connections Country Club. The personnel had asked politely several times to see a guest list because she always gave the finest parties for the elite citizens of the community. But even though they had asked several times she would never give names. She only gave an anticipated number. Well, regardless, They would do their very best for this occasion for their esteemed member. The steak and lobster would be prepared to perfection. Well, on the night of the dinner party, she was so anxious. She had been given hundreds of dinner parties before, but this one was different. And at 6 o'clock, people started arriving at the country club. A few I taxi, some in automobiles, most on foot. And as they came into the lobby, she greeted each of them and pointed them to the dining room. Her guests were young and old, women and men, black and white and brown. And while dress was not prescribed, it seemed like everybody sort of put on their very best for the Jesus dinner. The last to arrive was Tom. And when he walked into the lobby, he said out loud, Tom's here. I told you I would be here. And here's my friend Tony. And then he whispered in her ear, I still there is a catch what are you going to do take a Jesus offering or something and then he laughed out loud and took Tony's arm and the two of them walked into the dining room all the guests were seated at round tables with white linen tablecloths with beautiful bouquet of flowers in the center of the table she walked to the center of the room And she thanked everyone for coming. And then she said, I'm sure you're wondering why you're here and what is expected of you. She said, My only expectation is this I hope that you will enjoy this evening together because we've gathered in the name of Jesus. And then she prayed, Lord Jesus. Thank you for friends, old friends and new friends. And thank you for this food and for the people who have been working in the kitchen all day long preparing it and for those who are about to serve it. Amen. And in an awkward silence, people began to eat their meal. After one or two minutes, ever gregarious Tom in a loud voice said, "Wow! Mm, 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 mm. This is the best food I have ever eaten in my entire life." And with that, others said, "Oh, this is so good." Laughter and conversation filled the dining room. While the guests were enjoying dessert, a well-known musician from the community came in and took a seat at the end of the dining room at the grand piano and began playing some familiar songs. The Yellow Rose of Texas, my old Kentucky home, back home in Indiana, My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty. And then he transitioned into playing some some old hymns and invited people, if they knew them, to, to sing along from where they were seated. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to Him in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to Him in prayer. As the last number, He invited all who were able to come and stand around the grand piano as they sang Amazing Grace and the guest artist and the hostess. They were both amazed that the folks knew about every word to every verse of that old hymn. And at the conclusion of Amazing Grace, Tom said, folks, you've got to hear Tony's story. Tony, tell them, friends, this is amazing. And Tony reluctantly shared how, as a young boy of nine years of age, he became a drug runner for a gang on the south side of Chicago. By these late teen years, he had moved up in the echelon of the gang and had become a seller and a user and an abuser of illegal drugs. He said that one Friday evening when he received his weekend allotment to sell, he decided to have a party at his apartment and he invited all of his friends in. And Friday night and all day Saturday and all night Saturday night they partied. And when he awakened on Sunday morning, all of the drugs that he was to sell and all of his friends were gone. And he realized he had no way to pay his debt that was due Sunday night. He locked the doors, pulled the blinds, turned on the television, began flipping through the channels, came to a religious broadcast from the Vernon Park Church of God on the south side of Chicago. He watched it. He picked up the phone, called one of his friends and said, Come over quickly. The friend came over. He said, We're going to church this morning. We're going to church to rob it, to pay my debt that's due. He said he put in his pistol under his belt. And put his coat on it. And he came down and he took a seat in the second row from the front. And his friend took a seat in the second row from the back. And the plan was this. That when the ushers took the offering, they would follow them out. And they would hold him up at gunpoint and take the money to pay his debt. Tony said to the group, But what I didn't know, that in the liturgy of the Vernon Park Church of God, they take the offering at the end of the service. And I had to sit through the spirited congregational singing. I had to listen to the gospel choir. I had to endure the long protracted prayer of the deacons. And then I had to listen to the sermon that the preacher preached that morning. And he talked about there are two roads in life. A broad road that leads to destruction. And a narrow road that leads to life. And you can't travel on both roads, you've got to make a choice. And then he looked down and he said, young man, you better change your ways before it is too late. And then he kept on preaching. You can't follow Jesus and live like the devil. It's like trying to mix oil and water. You simply can't do it. Then he came back. He said, young man, why don't you give your life to Jesus today? What have you got to lose? If the way of Jesus doesn't work, you can go back to robbing churches. Tony said, I thought somebody tipped the preacher off, so I abort the mission. But he realized he hadn't told anybody but his friend. Not a soul. And he realized that God was up to something. And this was a moment of decision for him. And at the conclusion of the sermon, he came forward, and he pulled his pistol out, and he placed it on the communion table. And he fell to his knees, knees, and he cried out, God, have mercy. I don't know what to do. And the men of the church came by, and they placed their hands on him. And they prayed. After they heard his story, they prayed for his deliverance. But they didn't take their hands off of him at the end of the prayer, Tony said. They found me a safe place to live. Monday morning, they got me into a drug rehab program. And the men of the church went into the streets and negotiated with the gang his release, the release from his dead. Tony said, I am a changed man. And with that, Tom put his arm around him and sang, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Twas blind, but now I see. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. And with that, she thanked everybody for coming. And she said, I hope to see you again someday, maybe at the Boys and Girls Club, maybe at the Christian Center, or maybe on a bus. And they said, we'll be looking for you. And as they left Connections Country Club, she noticed that some of them shared cabs together. Others rode in cars together. Others walked down that narrow Country Club drive together. No one left Connections Country Club alone. And all in all, she said, it was a night that she will remember forever. And just before going to sleep that evening, she opened her Bible once again. And she read the words of Jesus. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, Do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, although they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And as she reflected on those words, at a deeper level, she realized that this passage was not about dinner parties, social etiquette, good manners. This parable was about the conversion of a host to begin seeing the radical nature of the kingdom of God. And she thought about it over these past weeks of the Bible study. Something that she could not explain was happening within her. Now, more than anything else, she wanted her life to reflect the way of Jesus. She could no longer be satisfied with a copacetic, safe church membership. She was being called to a costly discipleship. At a deep, deep level, she was being converted to the way of Jesus. Think about it. What would it be like for all of us As we begin this new year, to actually start doing the things that Jesus invites us to do. What if we became theological pranksters? Not just doing things for our friends and family, but for the least of these. What about if we began to do things that nobody else would ever think of doing except that they were being pushed, pulled, convicted, empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you know what I think would happen? I think that we, pardon my English, might just really get converted. Amen.